CGI recently won a contract from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. The task is to build an application programming interface, or API, gateway. It'll be part of the agency's efforts to reduce waste, fraud, and abuse in payouts for Medicare and Medicaid. With how this is all expected to work, we turn to CGI's Vice President for Health and Compliance Programs, Brad Schofstall. Mr. Schofstall, good to have you on. Thank you, Tom. Glad to be here. And what precisely is CMS asking you to do here, an API gateway? Sounds like a big bunch of programming. Right, right. (laughs) Well, so CMS has the responsibility to vet Medicare providers. So there's a whole series of processes that a provider has to go through in order to be certified to actually do Medicare services and billing. And so PECOS is the provider enrollment system that has that data. And then there's additional systems at CMS that have additional data. And all that data together is needed to really ensure that providers are, uh, you know, good providers and they're doing the right thing. So since the data is in multiple different systems, CMS wanted to have an API gateway to bring all that data together. So one place you can have a 360 view of a Medicare provider that's available for a variety of, of stakeholders and purposes. So the data would therefore include not only just who they are as self-identified providers of healthcare throughout the country, but also the payouts going to them, and the records they submit to get paid back and so forth, that kind of thing? Right. The records they submit, they have to submit their licensure and other information, all of their facilities, where they practice, what states they practice in, every license per state. Also, if they're a doctor that has different specialties, they have to have licenses for each one. So all that gets submitted to Medicare and all gets vetted through PECOS and associated systems in the Center for Program Integrity, CPI, part of CMS. Um, That information then feeds the actual claims systems that pay the claims. And so the claim system used that data to verify that, yes, this provider is, in fact, an approved Medicare provider. All right. So how will this API to all of these different data sets, how will that help detect fraud and reduce the uh, improper payments? Because I guess CMS is the single largest contributor to the total federal improper payment total every year. So a variety of ways. Most of the data at this point in time is uh, sent from PECOS to other systems in the form of extracts. While this gateway enables that to be real-time data sharing with those other systems. So it's available through APIs, as you said. So a programming interface or RESTful interface to get that data versus getting a file sent to you and then pulling out of that file what you need to verify that provider. So it improves the access to the data, more real-time data. Uh, So it's a system-to-system type of setup, but there's also a portal. So users, let's say that are the OG or IG or FBI, whatever organization is involved in and really looking at stopping the fraud, can use the portal on the CMS internal network. There's ways for them to get in there you know, approved ways so that they can actually pull up that data for that provider and then, you know, go through their processes to vet out fraud. Having followed some of the cases of big fraud that have happened in many cases, the CMS is paying people who are actually qualified. They are actual doctors and nurses and so forth, real providers, but they simply fabricate large numbers of identical types of claims. This type of thing goes on. That is to say, they're real, but they're not acting in a legal way. Right. Will this enable people like the FBI or the Program Integrity Office or the Inspector General to be able to spot those sooner than they could now? Yes, that is the idea, for sure. 
uh, is to have the data available on the provider side, a 360 view of the provider available real time. So then that can be matched up with, like in this case that you mentioned, you know, to have that data available to match it up with other providers, beneficiaries, uh, other billers or service receivers to, you know, vet out if this is a scheme that's going on. So that takes a lot of research and it's not just, you know, a simple query that figures out something like that, right? Sure. We're speaking with Brad Schofstall. He is Vice President for Health and Social Services at CGI. And what is required of CGI to do this, to create an API and a portal? It sounds like two components to the total system here. Oh, yeah. Well, there's a whole uh, software stack that we've uh, worked with CMS to put in place that pulls this data from the different systems in a service and kind of enablement. So if you think of it, it's, it's like a virtualized data environment. So we have all these real databases across CMS, and we're combining them in a kind of a virtual way so that it looks like one big database, but no data is actually being copied anyplace. It's really just pulled into memory, and it looks like one larger database that provides this 360 view. So there is a lot of software that goes into that for sure. And is this all in a cloud somewhere? Well, it's a combination. It's in the AWS cloud and also on the CMS data centers. So it's a combination. And in fact, the data coming into this API gateway is coming from multiple data centers. So if you think about somebody having to go to different systems and different data centers, different logins, you know, one after the other, and kind of piecing the data together manually, well, this does that for them in an automated fashion. Got it. And give us a sense of the range of data types that are involved here, because when you talk about different multiple data centers and applications, it could really be like the barroom on Mars type of image of data types coming in. The data types, it's all structured data for the most part. There is some images as far as like, you know, they actually take images of licenses and verify the licenses. You know, CPI has a lot of different processes to root out fraud. So they do background checks of the providers. They do site visits for the actual site. So they verify that if the provider says they actually have a facility in a certain place, they verify that it's there and that it can do the services that you know, the provider says that they offer. So there is both systematic and actual on the ground checking that goes on. And for CGI, is their measure of success simply that the portal is up and running and it works? Or do they have some measure of, I don't know, increased fraud detection as part of the uh, performance here? Yeah, so it really, it's, it, that is defined by the stakeholders. So the stakeholders that use the system, they're the ones that, through their use cases, define how good the system is working, how it's fulfilling the mandates, if you will, of really the goals that CMS is putting forward. So it's really up to them. This system is currently in uh, the process of being put into production. It'll be live by the end of the year. So we're going through a lot of testing now and users actually going through that process to say, is this system really providing what we need? And so far, we're getting very good feedback. And the user community is actually quite looking forward to having this in production to help them with the goal of stamping out uh, Medicare fraud. Fair to say that you are developing this, that a CGI is developing this in an agile manner such that you can test the functionality among users and adjust it before they commit to runtime finished code? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's all uh, safe, agile. So we have product owners, and they're involved multiple times a week with stand-up meetings and all the other activities that go into the agile process. Will it be something that you deliver and then you're done, or will you operate it for them and have continued development as time goes on? Yes. So we're in the first phase 
Uh, there are several phases planned after this first phase. So initially, they're starting out with three or four systems, something like that. I think it's going to be three when they actually go live. But then they're looking to add five additional systems every year going forward, plus uh, multiple users, 20 to 30 new stakeholder bodies every year also. So you know, the idea is that this could be available across CMS, also available even to Medicaid stakeholders in the different states. I was going to say most of this money is expended by the states, so they would have a stake in the whole thing too, wouldn't they? Oh, yeah. You know, CMS is very much uh, of the mind that they want to provide services for Medicare and Medicaid and to have transparency on both sides so that there isn't any situation where, you know, somebody falling through the cracks is terrible, but then also making sure that somebody's not getting double the benefits that they really should be getting. And do you think that the architecture and maybe perhaps some of the code itself of the system you're developing is reusable by other agencies that have all these different programs that go out to stakeholders, farmers, or whatever the case might be? Yeah, well, this um, the software that we're using is available either uh, through open source or commercial. So the stack could certainly be leveraged by whoever would like to go that way. As far as actually sharing the designs that CMS is uh, putting in place, I, I can't really speak to that at this point. All right. Brad Schofstall is Vice President for Health and Social Services at CGI. Thanks so much for joining me. Sure. Thank you, Tom. I enjoyed it. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, 
it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it. Um, From Sea to the C-Suite, fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, And I I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you use to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention and it was, it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions. Uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, 
folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, And I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.